0: the name of the values that keep you alive, do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels unlimited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked spark the the spark and hope the swamps of the are not quite the not yet and not at
1: all world you desired can be one. It exists. It is
2: real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. So today we're here at the Crypto Invest Summit and we're currently at the Key Influencer Dinner just down the street. So we're going to be talking to a few key influ- influencers and interesting folks that are dropping by throughout the evening. Uh, and I wanted to get us started off here by talking to one of our first guests. So I wanted to ask first, what have you sort of seen at the Invest Summit? And also, what is this dinner and how are you a part of it?
3: Yeah, so uh, Crypto Invest Summit, definitely, definitely a great event so far. Um, seen a lot of people, you know, really implementing the whole uh, AI aspect of blockchain and you know, trying to integrate that into everyday blockchain solutions. Um, you know, met definitely a lot of interesting people. And it's just cool to kind of see, you know, the perspective of, you know, different, quote unquote, influencers in the space and quote unquote, OGs, uh, definitely hearing their perspective on you know the current state of blockchain and where we're headed as an industry. So um, really just all the synergies at the event were amazing. Lots of great people, like I said. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for the future of this industry.
2: What was the most interesting thing that you've seen so far?
3: The guy was walking around with his big color board and I've seen him at a few events, and he was talking about it being an actual wallet, just the colors and the different, you know, pattern of the colors, and they're all primary colors and stuff. And um, now he's he's talking about creating an actual Vegas uh, casino-style place that's integrating blockchain technology into gambling, and uh, it's definitely a very interesting concept, just the way he's presenting it to people. But um, you know, it's kind of a humorous thing, but also, you know, in terms of interesting projects, I mean seen a lot of people you know integrating like chats with blockchain and you know since the company they're um, they've got a good approach on you know kind of like keeping people's data secure in terms of chats so instead of like Facebook Messenger stealing all your information you're actually chatting peer to peer and that's how it's going to be so
2: so the decentralized internet trust starting to come together with some of these deaths. that's interesting so for this dinner what it who are some of the people you expect to see coming through what are their backgrounds, and uh, what do you? What is the purpose of the dinner itself?
3: Yeah, so we'll start with the purpose. I mean, really, you know, the reason we throw these is to just bring people under the same roof. Uh, we're all, you know, here for the same reason. We we want to see blockchain um, being used throughout the world. So really, it's all about you know coming together and just having little masterminds like this where people are able to meet each other and you know who doesn't enjoy some good food. You know, good good food brings people together, and um, you know, so we're really good about curating an audience mostly comprised of crypto whales and key influencers in the space, but, you know, also a lot of crypto gu- uh, guppies attend, people just looking to learn about blockchain and, you know, how they can get involved or just learn about it in general and what the future of blockchain might look like for them. So it's just a good good experience for anyone, anyone in general to, you know, come by, get a little taste of blockchain, um, potentially, you know, win some, some crypto tokens in the process and eat some good food.
2: Yeah. So who are... Some of the people who you've been most excited to see come through, some of these whales that you talk about or some of the companies that they might represent, maybe you don't have to name names, but what are some of the big companies and uh, projects that make their way through
0: these dinners?
3: Um, definitely, you know, some of the just the original people that were spreading the word about crypto have taken a lot of interest in, uh, in what we're doing. And, you know, a lot of them have expressed their, you know, support in us just through, you know, referring different companies our way as sponsors and, You know, by attending our events and also putting out a good word, whether it's on their websites, whether it's in their email blasts. And, um, yeah, it's just cool to see, you know, us making an impact in the crypto space in a positive way just by bringing people together and, you know, kind of just synergizing and sharing ideas.
2: So who is hosting these events and how can people get involved who might be interested in getting involved?
3: So Crypto Dinner Club was originally started by Chris Champion, who is the total crypto boss. He's one of the quote unquote OGs, totally killing the game. Um, Chris does lots of, um, fundraising for companies. He's raised over $300 million for just several different companies and, um, just super great guy all around, but, uh, he's the founder of Crypto Dinner Club and he's the one who is in charge of, you know, deciding where we're going to throw events and stuff like that. And then that's where people like me come in and just make sure, you know, we get the audience there, we get the sponsorships and, um. And yeah, I got to make sure, you know, we have chocolate covered strawberries. That's a right, must there you plan. go. That's a must.
2: So where are some of these events going to be held in the near future?
3: Yeah. So we have, you know, of course, the LA Key Influencer event tonight. Um, on the 28th, we'll be heading to Puerto Rico for Restart South. where the official opening dinner of that. Um, in case you were wondering, Restart South has brought Pierce's event down there. And then um, November 5th, we'll actually be in Austin, Texas. November 10th will be our flagship dinner, which is a dinner we're hosting at NASDAQ. And then... Um, November 10th, will be in Tokyo, Japan. And those are just the ones, you know, coming up in the next two or three weeks. So, um, but yeah, we'll have a lot of dinners in the States and also in Asia. So,
2: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see where those go and hopefully I can attend a couple more. So <laughs> thanks no. for dropping by and we're going to be talking to a lot of interesting people as the night goes on. So stay Appreciate tuned. <laughs> All right, we're back with our second segment here. We're here with Sarah Austin, who's the co-founder and CMO of the Soma Open Network which is a messaging platform, Uh, and so we're going to get started with a little bit of background about the company. So thanks so much for being here.
4: Thanks so much for having me, and I'll tell you a little bit about the background of the company. Soma is a messaging platform and social media application that's on Android and iPhones, and we we grew to success and user base through telling people to get off of WhatsApp. Now, this became particularly impactful when the UAE told all of their users they have to get off WhatsApp because they banned WhatsApp in the region. And we took advantage of this through our marketing, and we pushed Soma as a replacement. It worked. Within that month, we gained 10 million users.
2: Oh, that's no joke. <laughs>
4: yes. And then from there, it grew. So at that point it became word of mouth marketing and it was just completely organic. We did very little marketing. We just got lucky and now we have 85 million users. We have a very engaged daily active user base at six million daily active users. And you know, I have to say thank you to Facebook for the success of my application in terms of user base. And I also have to say thank you to Mark Zuckerberg's sister, Brandi Zuckerberg, for making me famous when she put me on a reality TV show on Bravo called Startup Silicon Valley. Oh. Yeah. yeah so first Mark's sister made me face, made me famous through, you know, funding this Bravo TV show about startups <laughs> in Silicon Valley. And then Facebook, who's the owner of WhatsApp, made me my app famous when they kicked out <laughs> WhatsApp.
2: They've been good. They to banned you. <laughs> them.
4: Yeah. So I you know I have to say thanks to to Facebook. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. So what <laughs>
4: for, for sucking
2: I mean <laughs> I'm I'm glad someone's thankful for Facebook because it seems like not a lot of people around these parts are. Um, so what would you say makes Soma different from a WhatsApp or a Facebook Messenger?
4: We care about your data and we're not going to violate your data rights. You know, everything is being owned. I mean, your heart rate, how many steps you're taking, how many breaths you're taking every day. This is all being tracked on your phone. You know, it's not just the conversations that you're having with your voice calls and your text messages. And, you know, that they're taking your data, selling your data, making you watch ads and and profiting off of you, but they're not paying the users anything. But it's also all of your bodily information, you know, it's kind of creepy. Like, I want to own my data. And I think that just as a user of Soma, you know, I value when using Soma over using WhatsApp. Like, I don't want to make phone calls to people on WhatsApp because I don't know what kind of conversations we're going to have and I just want to protect my information.
2: Yeah, I mean they found more spyware in Facebook Messenger than they found in some CIA spy tools. <laughs> so I mean it, it's pretty crazy when you look at what they've done and how sophisticated it's become. So what do you do with the user's data? Do you just delete it? Um, do you keep it on their phone? We don't
4: store it. Okay. Yeah, we don't even store it. <laughs> okay,
2: so I mean that's good to know for users. So. What would you like to tell users about the platform? Um, And I know you mentioned there were some people who had made mistakes with ICOs in the past, so what's your message for people starting new companies, starting new ICOs and also uh, users who are interested in the platform?
4: Okay, so yeah, so for the first question, we do have encrypted messages and for the second question. Um. what was the second question?
2: <laughs> no worries. Uh, I, you talked a little bit before we started about how 2017 was the year of the ICO and now we're in the year of the, the DAP. So what do you think is...
4: No, no, no. Okay, I said... I was yeah, say, yeah, it's our do conversation. it in your own words, please. Yeah. <laughs> so the, 20, the 2017 comment was 2017 was the year of the ICO. 2018 is the year of realizing the mistake. The... STO, and 2019 will be the year of the dApps. Okay,
2: okay.
4: Yeah, and so in terms of what we're announcing with dApps is that the Soma open network is now available for dApps. So just like Facebook opened up third-party application developers, we're focused on decentralized applications because we see cryptocurrencies and blockchain is the future, and we want to make this part of our application blockchain-based. And, you know, while it is a messaging system and is centralized, it's also partly decentralized. So it's both centralized and decentralized. But we're really leaning into the decentralized part as the future of our development. And we have announced our our design thinking plans for how we're rolling out the onboarding process of dApps. And uh, what we're looking at is uh, what's called TCR, it's called a Token Curated Registry, where the users can use crypto to vote for the apps that they like, and for the apps that they don't like, or maybe they find offensive, to vote them off. Um, so in this sense, we are a decentralized model.
2: So creating a governance system for the token holders so that they have ownership of the network.
4: Exactly, <laughs> and, yeah. and ownership in mining.
2: Oh, and that's, a, that's an interesting point because a lot of people haven't talked about mining. So what, what is your model for mining? Have you opened it up to everyone? Are there certain people you're targeting for that?
4: So on the app, there are mining features. So anyone who has the app can start clicking to mine. And then we also have airdrop features. So you can uh, receive some of our seeds token. And we just announced um, the seeds token this year and rolled out our crypto wallet. So... You can. Um, I'll actually give out your listeners a free, some free. Uh, well,
2: you, you want to, you want my
4: code? Yeah, okay, do it.
2: we'll definitely <laughs> include it in the uh, description too.
4: Okay, so it's AI, like artificial intelligence 8C35. So if you download Soma, you're a new oh. user, and you want to get some seeds, I'll I hook you up. All right, I got your back.
2: <laughs> We're trying to look out for you guys. so. So that's great. So that's one of the best ways for people to get tokens. What are some other ways people might be able to get involved and get some tokens?
4: Well, they can mine. They can watch ads. They can get paid out for the time that they spend watching ads. So, you know, if you want to enjoy some advertising, got some free time, <laughs> <laughs> help yourself. You can uh, click for gold and you can um, send money to your friends. The, well, no, I shouldn't say money, I should say yes. cryptocurrency, you can send uh-huh. our token to your friends.
2: And so are there any wallet. exciting new apps that are coming onto the platform that you can talk about yet that user, users might be able to vote for?
4: So I can't talk about the apps in terms of naming them, but yeah. I can talk about the games. There actually are some entertain, entertaining dApps out there in the gaming space. I've played some of them, and they've got great graphics and um, great game theory, and I find them really entertaining, you know, stuff from uh, car racing to cards, playing cards, and, um, you know, just kind of the Mario Brothers type of games. Uh Like, I'll find myself playing them if I'm bored, and they can be quite addictive, actually. So, um, if, if that's something that you're into, then, yeah, I think that you'll enjoy the the dApps coming out in the entertainment and gaming space.
2: Great. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to summarize with? Uh, any parting messages or anything we haven't gotten
4: to? Yeah, sure. Just that we really care about women empowerment, and um, we want to increase our, our user base with women. And so we're... Focused as well on um, providing more features focused towards our our women audience, and um, particularly in the Middle East, I think that there's great potential for women empowerment using these crypto features.
0: Figuring out how to diversify
4: a portfolio and making investments—you know—you yeah. vote with your wallet, and when you have more money in your wallet, you have more power, you have more of a voice. So I hope to bring more of a voice to women in the middle east
2: yeah making all these things accessible just makes people more free to make their own decisions yep yep yep
4: you're right right about that my friend
2: (laughs) well thank you so much for being here and thanks for listening guys we'll bring you another one shortly Hey, guys, I'm here with Alexandra Karpova. She is the CEO and founder of Crypto PR Lab, and she's one of the speakers at the Crypto Invest Summit. So thank you so much for being here.
5: Yeah, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, Yeah, I am a founder of Crypto PR Lab. Uh, We are a boutique PR agency focusing on blockchain and crypto, and we've worked with a lot of interesting projects. Some of them are Deseco, which is a a platform for and tokenized securities. We also work with Crypto Invest some and helping them with uh, PR and ticket sales, Futurama, work with World CryptoCon and many other amazing projects and conferences. So very happy to be here.
2: So what are some of the things you've noticed in the PR industry that have changed in respect to crypto in the last year or so?
5: Yeah. Uh, First of all, you know, we're kind of entered in a little bit of a bear market. So the rates that you see that PR agency charge and all the consulting agency charge they could definitely changed and there's a lot of I, I see a little bit of skepticism about uh, PR. I see some of the companies that has been born and created during this process, they haven't delivered. And we decided that we need to change that. So me and my co-founder Masha, we realized there is a lot of missing gaps in good solid PR agencies in the space that focus on creating solid content and publishing it not in the paid or random media in unknown uh, media spaces that nobody knows about. We actually work with one of the top writers in the space who work with other top outlets, media outlets in the space, and we really focus on quality and delivering to our our clients to their liking and building a solid strategy as opposed to just writing random articles some of the other PR agents do so we, we take a big crowd in how we serve and our clients and how we deliver products.
2: And so that was one thing we did. We had a news site and we had lots of people approaching us to pay us to write articles. So how do you differentiate yourself from some of the smaller PR firms, I guess, that are just sort of spewing out whatever publications they can get published? So how do you work with major publicators to make sure the quality is... Uh, is up to par while also making sure your clients are getting you know the right PR for what they need.
5: Absolutely. So first of all, we never take any paid media. None of the uh, solid reporters and journalists in the space are not allowed to take any yeah. any money for it. So we <laughs> never we never do that because it val- it it basically validates. The ethics of journalism, and we are all for real and solid journalism. I think it's extremely important. What we do, we create strategy for our clients. We don't just tell them right away, oh, we take this much money from you guys and we'll put you in Forbes or whatever you want to be. No, we don't do that. We create organic growth for our clients. We start you off. You're super new do not have much exposure. We start you off a little lower. We, we get your news. We get you out there. We're starting slow, but organically. And once you become more famous, once you become ready for tier one, we we'll put push you into tier one. And we always make sure that it's organic in a way that journalists reach out to you because you're out there and you create a lot of buzz. So they want to write about you as opposed to us going after them and pitching them our news. So that's extreme. It's a big difference between when you made it and you start getting a lot of organic exposure by real reporters and journalists as opposed to just like paying everybody whatever they're asking and it's super obvious when it's done or some of the PR agencies that I noticed they just write some one press release and they just copy and paste it all over the media it's just like one article without a change we don't do that we always create content when our writers to think and really learn about your product and really create an article that makes sense and that's interesting to the readers. And I think that's extremely important to have a real organic uh, PR for your project. And all of those shortcuts, they will really backfire to the projects, to the writers, and we're against that. We always promote organic growth and solid exposure from your projects to the world.
2: And so, you know, from the world is a key statement. So geographically, where are most of your clients located and how do you tailor your services based on the markets that they're in and the markets they're trying to penetrate uh, on a worldwide basis.
5: Absolutely. Um, our, our clients are pretty international. Uh, we have clients from the United States, from New York, from San Francisco. We have clients in Switzerland, Latonia. We have some Asia and China. Um, And it really depends a lot. So one of the biggest markets for PR we found is everybody wants to have international exposure through American media, uh, such as famous tier one as NASDAQ or Forbes or Entrepreneur or uh, Business Insider, Yahoo Finance. It's all American Mm -hmm. media in a way. Uh, So most of our project approaches specifically because we're very strong in U.S. media, we're also very strong in European media and we do partner with a PR agency that works in Asia. So we are basically tailor um, a PR and the way that media works and appetite for media based on the region. But we're very international and we can definitely take clients from all over.
2: And so do you focus really on traditional media or is there some emphasis on social media and other sorts of advertising? Uh, How do you balance that as far as the importance of it?
5: Absolutely. We actually have two very solid partners. One of our partners is Day One Venture. uh, I'm sorry, not Ventures. Day One Productions. So they are focusing on, it's it's a production company, focusing on creating visual content for projects. They create beautiful videos with, um, with interviews and it's a very effective way of telling the story, what the project is, meeting the founders, seeing them, hearing their story, how did they get there, what are their goals. It has a much better effect than sometimes reading an article because all of us have different ways of learning. Somebody listens, somebody reads, somebody has visual memories. So we try to do it all together. Uh, so, once we create that video, we also PR the video as well. Like I said, we also write articles and distribute traditional PR, and we also partner with community management company called Mazi. Uh Basically, we also work on the social media aspect, the Twitter, the Reddit, the Telegram side. So, all of it combined, we want to make sure you have maximum exposure with all sorts of uh, angles.
2: Full service, yeah. Yeah,
5: Exactly, full service. That's important, yeah. So,
2: what are some of the biggest pitfalls you've seen with other PR agencies in the market where they really haven't been getting it right, in your opinion?
5: I think a lot of them just, I feel like don't listen to the client, what the client really wants. And I've seen some really poorly written press releases and and articles and just like very poor job, not really expressing what uh, the client is really talking about what their goals, what their inspiration. Some, Some articles just really boring. I think it's extremely important to bring the best out of the project, deliver it to the world, make it interesting to read, or listen or see, make sure that, you know, they're really expressing and showing the purpose of the project. Why the founder started? It? How is it going to change the world? Why is there a blockchain involved? And all those questions that really come into a place where you hear about a new project. I think it's extremely important to really listen and understand part. Um, it's all about the team when it comes to uh, choosing a successful project and I think it's super important to really listen and get personal and um, conversational with the founders of the project and you really get Get you really understand them deeply, and you really understand why they're doing it, and it really creates interesting story. And so, content. what
2: can a company do before they come to you to make your job as easy as possible? What What makes for the best uh, basis for a company to start on before uh, potentially getting all that exposure? So, what is the foundation that a good crypto company can have that lets them cut out? Cut out the noise from all the rest.
5: And of course, to be honest with you, we can start. We some of the projects that we work with, they they didn't have much exposure at all. They're very fresh, uh, where the others have a solid community exposure, and they're you know they've been speakers at conferences, and do all those all sorts of things. But I think it's extremely important just to at least have an idea. Have what, what are the goal? What are the goals for your company? What are you guys doing? You have a very clear picture. Of what are you doing? Because once we're going to start asking you questions and creating interesting content, what are the news? How are you going to change this world? Have a very clear picture. And if you don't, we can help you structure, but it's extremely important for the founders to have a very clear idea and and hopefully the product that's in the process of building to get you up there to really have a reader, to have community believe in you and support you and and help you in your goals.
2: So for the people that are listening, how... What would you leave them with if they're maybe someone founding a company interested in getting some PR or if they're just a listener hoping to find the next good project to look at? Um, what would you leave them with?
5: Oh, of course. So first of all, never be afraid. And I found that blockchain is extremely welcoming space. If any of you want to start a company in this space, just go for it, figure out what you're good at. Um, space it, it welcomes all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, so just find your niche and just, just do it. You're going to learn from your mistakes. And it's never perfect. It's, <laughs> it's never perfect. Uh, but over time you're going to learn and um, I think it's super important to just follow your dreams and never give up and just we welcome you all and hopefully um, any if whoever needs PR we're always welcome. You can find us on www.cryptoprlab.com or email me directly at Alexandra at Crypto PR Lab and I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: That was a beautiful piece of parting wisdom and as you can see the uh, Crypto folks get very excited about this stuff, uh, and we're doing it live. So thank you for listening, and I encourage you guys to check her out and check out their website. Thanks so much for being here. Thank
5: you so much.
2: Hey, guys. We're here with Paul Rogers, the CEO and founder of Prime My Body. Uh, They're doing their token sale right now. So if you could just introduce a little bit about yourself and the company, that'd be great. Sure.
0: Love to. It's great to be on. Um, We're a hemp oil company. We started uh, uh, with our, our special uh, product in, I guess, it was October of 2016, and uh, we've uh, we started exploding at that point, and went through a lot of issues with uh, with banks and processing in the United States, yeah. Yeah. you know, because the uh, our our the federal de-
2: laws, yeah, well,
0: up. yeah. The the this weird thing was with hemp is that the senators signed into law in the 2014 Farm Bill Act, they said hemp is hemp is legal. Hemp is legal to sell. Uh, but strangely enough, the DEA didn't agree with that. So the DEA came out with different opinions, although the DEA doesn't write the laws. Yeah. They're supposed to enforce the laws. You'd think, yeah. You would think. Uh, but they came out with a different opinion uh, in December of 2016. It scared all the banks in the United States. Yeah, So nobody wanted to process, even though we don't have THC in our hemp oil, yeah, yeah. you know, um, technically it's called undetectable levels of THC. Okay. You can't find it even with, uh, the uh, most sophisticated study. But even with that, um, the DEA still considered hemp oil. They've changed their opinion a little bit now, but they considered it basically in the same classes like cocaine and heroin and methamphetamine. Yeah. Yeah. It was just ridiculous, but no medical benefit. Yeah. You no, know, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so scared all the banks, and so it was. It's been. It was brutal. Finishing out 2016, going through 2017, couldn't get any banks to handle us in the United States. Yeah, you know, if you don't have a bank to go through, you can't get Visa, Mastercard, and it's kind of hard to do e-commerce yeah. without Visa, Mastercard. Uh, so we had to. We had to really hustle. We had to find banks in Canada that would that would work with us, uh, Mexico, and the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took a a lot of work. We we were still able to do uh, around 20 million sales in 2017 through all of that. Um, But they still consider us high risk. So we pay higher fees than most people do, Uh, even have to deal with reserves still. And that is what uh, got us motivated to look at um, creating our own token, Um, which I can talk about how the token will... Will help solve, especially the merchant issues initially. It'll at least give people a great option, uh, and then it'll also help as we start paying people uh, globally in our in our global commissions.
2: So, with most of your clients so far, have they been uh, mostly stateside? Are you even able to ship internationally? How Have you dealt with some of the legal loopholes? Because I know there is. A difference between, like you said, uh, hemp derived and actually marijuana derived. Yeah. And that being said, do you expect the legalization of marijuana to cut into your business, or do you expect to also derive
0: from? There? I think no. I think it. Uh, I think it would help. I mean, I'm. I i do not spend any time, you know, advocating or pushing for medical marijuana just because I'm so busy doing that with hemp oil. Yeah. And they're really so distinct, uh, both of them. Um, it certainly helps us. If a state says, yeah, we're going to legalize marijuana, then typically, obviously, we don't have any issues with hemp. But the reality is, is that we ship into all 50 states and have. Um, occasionally, a state will tell us to tweak this on the label or do you know, small little things. Uh, but so far, since 2016, we've been able to ship into all 50 states as well as Puerto Rico and Guam. Um, and we haven't had any hadn't had any slowdowns, a uh, few short term stuff that we had to deal with um, because the states recognize that the federal government said it's legal. But each state has the right to, to impose their own, you know, terrorist tariff, their own taxes, their own, their own regulations concerning it. Uh, but so far, we've been very proactive on the political side because you have to be. Uh, and I hate spending my time there, but it's, yeah. it's a necessity. Yeah. And now we're in the process of opening Japan because it's legal there now. Taiwan, it's legal. Uh, Canada, it becomes legal, um, yeah. in about a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mexico, it's legal moving into Mexico. And then next year, Europe. Awesome. I mean, I know even hemp-derived plastics,
2: there's huge industries all around hemp. So yes. are you guys focused You know, mostly on the CBD side? Or are you opening up into any other products? How is your go-to-market strategy
0: in that respect? It, it, we've, done, we've stayed really focused on uh, the hemp oil as a dietary supplementers of food and, um, and what it can do for a human's health, uh, for the health of the brain, the health of the heart, the health of the stomach. And that's really been our focus. Uh, I love seeing because you're right, uh, hemp for so many years before it was banned in 1937.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, Reefer Madness, Reefer Madness. Yeah,
0: yeah the U.S. government. Uh, and I mean, it's it's better than cotton in many ways. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to put down cotton manufacturers because I love cotton. Yeah, uh, we all do. Uh, but it's amazing for clothing. You're right. It's uh, it's amazing what you can, all the various uses of, of hemp. So I'm a huge proponent of that. They're never going to be a big part of my business model other than I support pretty much every uh, legal use of the, of the hemp plant. So tell
2: us a little bit about the token, how you came to that conclusion. Were you considering other things prior?
0: Um, what led to that decision? It was really looking at a a token in crypto as a form of currency that we could use uh, instead of or uh, beside Visa or MasterCard to give people uh, an option. And something I'd actually looked at about a year and a half ago, and I felt like the because we're a real company with real product and real sales, I felt it was a year and a half ago, it was too early to adopt it. It was like the wild, wild west, you know. Everybody was launching a token. Everybody was doing an ICO. None of them had any real businesses. It was all pre-revenue. It was yeah, all theory. It was crowdfunding. It was. That's exactly it. I'm going to mention that tonight. It was just crypto crowdfunding and um, hoping that they could then develop something real. And so that scared me. The, uh, that part of the crypto world scared me back then. Uh, but then I started looking at it again probably about eight months ago, and I saw that a lot of those had gotten weeded out. And the crypto market was starting to mature and wanted to move into more of a, a stable environment. And you had institutional investors and Wall Street looking at it and Goldman Sachs. And um, I just felt that it's a time to, one, launch our own token instead of latching on to other crypto. I mean, you could use Ether or Bitcoin Cash. But instead of just doing that, I felt it's an opportunity to brand our own token uh, and do a private sale for our affiliates to purchase the token. And then they can use that token to purchase product. And then I also, in 2019, we'll start using crypto to pay commissions to people on a global scale. It just seemed like the, the, the perfect time that a lot of the, the weird stuff had taken place already with token sales and ICOs. It seemed like a great time for a real company with real product, with real revenue, with real structure to come in and embrace it. Not like the crypto world needed me to embrace it. Not at all. It didn't. It'd be just fine on its own. But for me, um, it looked like this uh, token could really help us solve a lot of problems.
2: And it can open up investment to an entire class of people who in an IPO probably wouldn't have had access. They're not the first in the door, but with Reg A, you have all these people who can actually get in the door. So, you know, ICOing more like an IPO, I think makes a lot of sense. So when you were talking about creating the ICO, are you doing a securitized offering? How did you navigate the regulatory landscape?
0: I spent a lot of time doing that, um, because since we did have a real company with real revenue, uh, I didn't want to do anything to endanger that. Um, And so we looked at all of them. We looked at the, uh, well, it hadn't even really been established yet, but the ever-changing laws regarding uh, security tokens. that scared me, you know, because they could change their mind. I know that firsthand because I've actually been president, uh, a part of taking a, a company that I retired from in 2008. We took it onto the Nasdaq, and so I know the publicly traded world pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was president, and I was always focused more on sales, so I'm certainly not the finance guy. But I know I know going public pretty well, and I also know that Sorbain Oxley would add 150 pages to every quarter that we had to do, audit it. Uh, And so for our 10Q to complete that in our 10K, even in the highly regulated world of being a publicly traded company, the rules are constantly changing and it's grossly expensive uh, to to live in that world. About three and a half million for most companies that are on the NASDAQ on a yearly basis, which is stupid. Um, So, we looked at security and didn't really feel that we fit the model of security. We looked at utility. We're not a utility token. So we decided that we felt that we could defend (coughs) uh, ourselves as an asset backed token because we're doing a private sale, because we're not taking fiat, not taking dollars. Um, The, the, the affiliate will purchase it. Uh, and the, at a minimum purchase price is uh, one ether. Um, and that that token was then going to be used specifically for buying the ability to buy a product and the ability for us to pay commissions and being tied to a real company with a real product that people could touch and feel. Uh, a lot of lawyers came back and we determined, okay, this is this is the definition of an asset-backed token as opposed to a security or a utility.
2: So, what would be your parting message for people who are listening? Would you like them? You know, to buy tokens, to check out your products.
0: You know, what? what is your primary driver here? And I always say <clears throat> that we're a hemp company, not a token company. Um, I mean, I'm not a crypto company. I'm not. Um, you know, we're developing our token to solve some serious needs. So first and foremost, our hemp pool has changing people's lives. So become an affiliate to to try it. You don't have to build a business, but become a customer. Use the use the product. I'll try some. Yeah, it's do do that, and then if you choose to participate in the token, the token sale starts on November twenty first. You have to be an affiliate to do it. Uh, then great, uh, come on board, purchase the token. Uh, but first and foremost, get some hemp and see what it'll do for your life.
2: Well, that sounds great. I look forward to trying it. And thank you so much for coming on. And we'll make sure you guys have the links and everything to go check it out.
0: Cool. Appreciate it very much. Great.
2: Hey, guys, I'm here with Timothy Lewis. He is the co-founder of Ikijai. Did I pronounce that right? Ikigai. Ikigai. It's
6: a 1,200-year-old Japanese term. Well, could you actually, I'd love to hear about the origin of it. So it's the center of what you're good at, what you love doing, what the world needs, and what you get paid for. It's wow, very beautiful. very similar to the reason for being, raison d'être, French word, but uh, it really capsules everything that uh, we do and in, uh, in this industry for uh, the love of the humanity, attack, and, and all the changes that it might bring about the world. So, could you tell us a little
2: bit about what you've done in this industry, how it attracted you, and what you hope it
6: becomes? Sure, I've been in the cipher scene since 1992. Uh, I've been building out communication protocols since I was seven, and I'm going to date myself. It's, that's 1985. So I've building out BBSs, and I worked on I, I owned my first ISP when I was 13. I started working on a lot of Internet protocol work, including BGP work, uh, at 14, 15, 16. Did a bunch of work for three-letter government agencies. In the meantime, graduated and <laughs> doing a bunch of work for banks during the HFT craze of the early 2000s. I spent a lot of time in Chicago working for offsho- out- offshoots of Society General, Fimat Financial, Cayon Financial, and um, you when know, I found a di- I discovered Bitcoin uh, through a coworker of mine in 2009. I really didn't catch the bug until about 2012, uh, 2013, when we started seeing these semi-Turing complete, Byzantine fault tolerant, uh, programmatic blockchains. That's when I really started to get it. Um, I found myself knee-deep in, uh, in in mining and doing things on the Ethereum network early, participating in the crowd-sale there, and then uh, along the way, it's just gotten, you know, builds up steam. More and more people started to get involved. A lot of my friends kind of created the models that are the ICO models of what is today. I was a part of a uh, syndicate named DNA and uh, worked a lot doing advisory and consulting for now, but it it's thousands of these things, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. So,
2: what are the most exciting projects that you've worked on, or that you see coming to fruition right now?
6: Well, I worked a lot on the uh, on EOS and launching EOS. I'm one of the 20, top twenty-one block producers, most of the time, it's a it's a voting cycle. It's delegated, so it's a lot of fun. I run uh, the block producer named Liberty Block. So we, we did a lot of the security work during the launch and spent a lot of time making sure a lot of the producers themselves were uh, secure in their measures. A lot of them aren't sysadmins. I'm, I, myself, am a dev, sysadmin, you know, data expediency expert. Not everyone in this quote-unquote industry came from the networking, development, systems engineering background, and as we start to build on that more and more are coming, and more of my old friends are, are joining. But, um, you know, building that out and seeing some of the projects that are getting launched on there now is a big focus of ours. So we go around the world doing a lot of uh, block producer summits, talking to different people about their products, their, their dApps, or what I call TAPs. Instead of decentralized applications, most of these things are just tokenized applications, <laughs> yeah. which is a difference. Yeah, that is. Um, but that project is great and it's going well. It's a great experiment. I'm also excited about Hashgraph. So working on that, but in the middle of this, we've been launching our fund, Ikigai. Uh, Ikigai, I'm super proud of. I think we have one of the most institutionally compliant vehicles in the industry. And as this industry kind of grows up, and in the beginning of almost every part of new technology, you have the tinkerers, the, the hacks, the drug dealers in this case, yeah. right? And so now we're moving on with mean, our, our phase two. Was like there's some people starting to get together, experimenting more on the Ethereum network, trying to get things going, but generally. Nothing has returned anything. Most of the projects are crap and no one's yeah. using it. Yeah. But in this third wave, we have you know re- real people that have come from real industries, engineering, are, are really starting to understand that this technology has a use. And we're starting to understand what some of those uses might be. And at the same time, a lot of these new platforms are creating the possibility that they might be usable in these public distributed ledgers the way that we hope that they might be. So getting in behind some of those projects and working on all of those things is what drives me right now.
2: So how has your technical background prepared you for some of the investments you've made? And also, you know, how has it helped you uh, decide, you know, which horses to bet on and helped you I guess understand the nitty-gritty that most people don't what are most people getting wrong in that
6: aspect? no so I think that uh, you know being a dev first and foremost is the the, the best tool that you can to understanding new technologies right when we're when we're developing we, you have to understand the underlying aspects of, of the developer being able to read code and see whether or not they're a stopping developer whether or not yeah. they they, they, there's a depth to their content. There's a fork that innovative, you know. Exactly, and they're not. You yeah, know, exactly. And, and and copy the, exactly, copy paste. Exactly, copy-pasta, that's yep. all that it is. And, and ultimately, you know, seeing those during the attack of the alts, it was all garbage, not seeing much real innovation other than things like Monero and Dash. or there, there were a couple of the quote-unquote cryptocurrencies that I think were interesting. But now that we have these semi-turning complete programmatic blockchains, you know, those are getting really interesting. Uh, and seeing some of the really great dev teams that have been brought on, especially seeing it from all around the world. Now I get to go out and go find dev teams in Ukraine and Seoul, Korea and Singapore and Hong Kong in Shanghai and all around the world and being able to connect with them as someone who understands problems that they've had before, want to solve or move on. I still dev, like, and I've got a dev team now. Now I have an enterprise development team that I work with the exchanges. So part of what I do is relationships, and the more that I can do for key players in the industry, the more that I can help the people that I invest in. You know, We did try to, to kind of destroy the idea of the VC, but some things that the VCs did bring sometimes yeah. were relationships and were the, the ability to help you mold your business. I still think that's important. So working along those lines, as a developer, I can relate to the developers, understand needs from the developer, but also from a businessman, I can now uh, understand the needs of the uh, exchanges and different key players within this atmosphere, and being able to place people together, is what I specialize at. So, what are the biggest problems that
2: you've seen
6: that you would like to invest in that have yet to be solved? That you see the biggest barriers? Uh, well, no one's using any of the shit. We got to get off of the PKI infrastructure, right? Yeah. So. You, know, you have to have accounts that are semi-recoverable. Different networks are gonna be useful for different things. A lot of people, again, I am not a maximalist. I stopped being a maximalist sometime in 2012. Um, and the, the idea that there's a winner take all I think is ridiculous. Um, so you know, you're gonna have, it's a good idea to have experimentation. Getting over, as an industry, getting over the, we have this this, this brutal loyalty to one chain, yeah. whatever it is. We gotta get over that. Yeah. You know, So that's one thing that's holding everybody back. Because there are, who knows, like, you know, if you were looking in 1991, you'd have thought CompuServe was running the world, because they had the network that everyone was using, because no one had been using, everyone had come from Prodigy and jumped on CompuServe, and it's like, that's the new thing, it's going to last forever. And then came AOL, right? And AOL was this massive engine that everyone was using, so... The protocols are not done yet.
2: Yeah,
1: you know,
6: Some of them will stick around forever. I mean, ideally, Bitcoin is something that we can all corner on, and yeah. it's really the only true currency. So I yeah. really do hope that that's the one that really does permeate and stay. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, maybe one other privacy coin, there are going to be many of these utility networks that pop up. And so we don't know which will be the ones that people use. They won't always stay in favor. They'll always be around. But I can see different networks being different, good for different things. But hopefully everyone else is smart enough to use all the networks yeah. and understand the thing that they're building might have some, get some influence from other networks. So what would be your
2: parting wisdom to the amateur investor who's coming into this with very little technical background and maybe
6: very little investing background? Stop investing in tokens. Yeah. Okay, start investing in equity. Um, I think that's the only responsible thing or a, a shared uh, aspect of both of them. You know, we're about to go through the onslaught of the STOs, Don't get afraid when things aren't decentralized, because we're not going to be decentralized for a while, period. We're going to go through this area of permissioned networks, and that's going to be okay. But I think of this as as the Trojan horse approach to destroying every government in the world, and that's the ultimate goal, right? But we can't go out and tell them that's the goal. We have to play nice with their regulators, allow uh, us to create systems that fully match their regulatory parameters and think that everything's okay. And then five years later, don't worry, we'll fuck them up. <laughs> yeah. There will be there will be cross-chain actions that they can't stop and we'll yeah. be able to do all the things that we want to do. It's going to take a while. But uh, as as an investor, uh, if you are an investor, you know, again, try to add value. Uh, don't just invest in tokens. Tokens, in a, for the most part, are going to fail. So try to make sure that you're working on equity pieces. Try to make sure that you're... Uh, demanding some responsibility from your engineering teams. I think that's important. And uh, trying to make the connections for the engineers that they find useful.
2: Perfect. Well, is there anything you'd like to end on? Any shameless plugs? You know,
6: I guess vote for Liberty Block. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to plug ikigai.fund. Um, no, but but uh, yeah, legally, I'm not sure. Yeah, so okay. hey, we'll have to, we talk, to, the, anyone, we'll have to no. talk to the people, <laughs> yeah. make sure. O- only because no public solicitations, right? But it, it's a, for accredited investors, it's a really it's a interesting thing that we built. I'd say this Google Leaky Guy Hedge Fund. So go check that out. My, my partner, Travis Kling, is a beast. My partner Anthony Etman's a beast, and uh, yeah, I think twenty, the end of twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen, we're gonna start coming back. These bear markets always happen. We always rebound to bulls. This is, technology is undeniable. Find the right engineers. Find the right projects. Get involved. Well, you heard it here first, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, well, cool.
2: Alright guys, so I'm here with Justin Wu. Uh, Justin, if you could maybe just give us a quick introduction about your background. Awesome. And uh, Justin is the founder and uh, CEO of CoinState. Are you CEO?
1: Yeah, I'm CEO of CoinState. (laughs) just want to make sure. Yeah, so CoinState, we are kind of like a media slash community brand. We're all focused about building brand community and growth for blockchain projects. A lot of people, a lot of projects out there don't really know how to communicate and even like maintain their community. And so we're kind of building more organic ways for these companies where it would be dApps, uh, some non-fungible games as well. And then looking on beyond with some STOs and stable coins to kind of help get their message out there uh, as well. So uh, a few other things too, just like hosted the first Seattle blockchain conference, Blockchain Northwest. Uh, we had good, good, amazing people there from like Boeing, Amazon, Starbucks, Bittrex uh, come through. Uh, And then also hosting another, you know, a few events in Vancouver, BC, uh, a little bit in Portland and Phoenix. So right now it's just heavily on the West Coast, but we're looking to kind of expand it out uh, into kind of areas that are not in the major crypto zones like L.A., San Francisco and New York. I think there's a lot of events over there, but there's a lot of interesting things happening within both the development community and little hubs all around the world. So I always like working with kind of emerging markets, and emerging cities, bridge gas, bring people from different regions into those zones to help level up the people locally and just connect people there to help push more, uh, forward with this blockchain movement.
2: So, so you've done a lot of traveling internationally. You've seen the label. Yeah. What, what could you say about how things are developing in different parts of the world? Yeah,
1: for sure. So I've been to nomad since uh, probably like right before Consensus New York. Was in New York for a couple months. Did the New York thing. Uh, take a look and see how going uh, how went there, and then I went to Asia uh, for uh, three months. Went to like all the major places from uh, you know Singapore, Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, Shanghai, uh, and beyond, and then you make my way over to Europe. But it's been interesting to see kind of the uh, crypto movements all across there, and even in this bear market, there's still a lot of uh, excitement and energy going on in. You're talking about like still super packed conferences out there. And what's different now too is uh, a couple of months ago, like Southeast Asia, I'm talking about like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Philippines, they just discovered crypto finally too and about blockchain and they're finally participating, which they weren't here during like even the bull run uh, back then. So to me, you know, it's really exciting to see kind of how each country is reacting Uh, China obviously banning all the the crypto events. Japan's still putting high regulations. Singapore has regulations, but they're kind of like softening up a little bit. Uh, And then Korea is already working on like an ICO bill to bring back ICOs too. So I think everybody's kind of like looking at each other to try to figure out what the good framework is. And I think the one that's really in charge is is obviously Malta. Uh, So I'm looking forward to go to Malta Summit next week. There's going to be like 8,000 attendees there. I uh, want to see in the forefront of what's actually happening there. And I think that all the other governments are trying to work hand in hand with all these other jurisdictions to uh, have a guideline and figure out how that fits in their own uh, ecosystem and economy.
2: So, yeah, and it seems like the will of the people is pushing these governments uh, uh, in the direction, you know, they don't want it necessarily. In especially
1: in especially uh, Korea. When, when uh, Korea banned uh, crypto, there was a huge petition. There was like a huge stat like... Was 30 40 percent of people actually own crypto in the population so that's insane you know and uh and they they were just saying that you can't ban crypto
2: and they they just couldn't do it like the they the people rose over uh everywhere else too so i think it was the finance minister of russia said blockchain will belong to russia so have you seen anything <laughs> in russia that suggests you know they're heavily investing have you traveled over there to see I've not been
1: are, to uh, Russia quite yet so uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have that, to see. it seems to
2: be happening in somewhat of a vacuum so you don't talk to too many people who really know what's going on and how things are happening over there which is interesting yeah
1: I, I heard a lot of projects there but uh you know also too there's just been you know I, it's still a new territory I haven't I haven't made my way around there or as heavily in Europe quite yet so
2: that's kind of like the next uh, phase for me looking at 2019 as well. So what has crypto done to a country like Malta? I mean, I've been yeah. to Gibraltar and I know Gibraltar was just a rock in the ocean and now it's, you know, an economic... A big rock too. <laughs> so so how, do, how does that factor into these countries? Yeah, I think Malta has the full support of the Prime
1: Minister, of the government. There's banking a lot uh, there as well. So what's happening now, it's uh, Binance, OKX. I think will be uh, Bitrix, Bitrix. They're all opening offices there now. And uh, a lot of uh, people are acquiring banks over there, uh, as well as uh, people trying to set up these STO exchanges uh, and try to build, I guess, a base out of there. I think that since the country itself is very uh, relaxed, uh, it gives a lot of protection and a lot of people uh, able to sleep at night to to know that they're not going to be chased down or trying to constantly just fend off all these, like, uh, SEC subpoenas, and that's super costly. So it's just, you know, I think that right now it just really doesn't make sense to be in the States to to work on a blockchain project, to be honest. And we saw people like Michael Arrington just like peace out uh, as well. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that as well. Uh, people moving to, if you're going to Asia, a lot of people are just doing Singapore, even though it's still not the best, but it's the best kind of choice for now in Asia. Uh, but it's still... You know, still early to say which country is going to be uh, fruitful. And I think that, you know, more power to the countries that, that will uh, honor it first and, and allow for people to develop more. You know, Korea is opening up a few new economic cities developed develop around uh, blockchain, too. So we'll have to see what, what the future holds. But right now, uh, America, I think, is still going to play an important part for blockchain and crypto. It's just going to be full-on STOs. They're going to put full regulations for Wall Street and institutions. Then that's going to make the big brands fully comfortable. And America is just going to lead with the sheer force of Wall Street and big brands. And then the utility tokens, consumer tokens, are going to be elsewhere outside on the fringes uh, until until we get some more clarity on that front. But I think that with something like a T-Zero and uh, Overstock and uh, NASDAQ with backed. Uh, a New York Stock Exchange with Vact and uh, TD, Ameritrade and Goldman and everybody, I think they're just going to force a hand to force uh, STOs first. And that's going to happen sooner or later because they're just lining everything up for the infrastructure to build the software for it. And then they obviously want clarity so that all the floodgates and money can come uh, right in, pouring into stable coins and then SEO exchanges uh, as well.
2: So that being said, if you were looking at more international projects, what are some of the best international companies that people may not have heard of, if they aren't you know in the, if they are in the
0: United States? It's it's
1: it's hard to say. It's, it was interesting to say uh, see one of the biggest, uh, actually the biggest, uh, Korean fund hashed out there uh, at San Francisco Blockchain Week. Uh, they launched a lot of really big projects out there, but they themselves barely invested in Korean ICOs and projects. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that just because a country or a zone has massive volume, like one third or 30 percent right, or, or so, doesn't mean and translate that they're actually uh, heavy on, on blockchain development, uh, smart contract developers and platform developers at, uh, at all. Um, same thing with San Francisco, just because it was a big boom there. They just finally discovered and cared about crypto just recently, especially with all the, the funds out there building their own crypto arm. So I think there's a huge delay. And, and that's what's also what's causing a big delay on mass adoption and use cases, and uh, you know, I, I it's hard to say well, like international projects because like there's a lot of projects here at least in the states that are have U.S. founders, but they're just offshore and selling their ICOs or STOs offshore and no U.S. Uh, citizens uh, at all. So um, it's it's been interesting, but uh, when I was in Asia, it's been it's a little hard to decipher some of these projects because. Some of them are just like very localized to their own region or their own app and company, so it's hard to tell uh, how they would have a huge go-to-market strategy in a global uh, crypto market, which I don't think there really is. And it's just going to go back to the same issue where it's a small regional peg uh, utility token, which has questionable utility uh, to begin with. Uh, you don't really see as much global and big projects yet, except like a big those big platforms like Neo, VChain, Zilliqa, and a few other. One's out there, but they're still not fully proven quite yet, and uh, you know we'll we'll see how the the dash rolls on on those uh, as well. And one thing that I'm seeing, one thing I want to add there too, is that there are really big projects out there still raising like 100 mil, fifty to 100 mil, uh, but they're going to take two to three years from now to actually launch. their like mainnet, similar to like Golem or Augur, that took years uh, to build. Some of them are just super ambitious. Products uh, like VideoCoin to uh, like Base, Basis or Base uh, BaseCoin, Origin Protocol, uh, and beyond, and uh, they just go and raise um, some huge money doing some crazy hard uh, future tech, with decentralized uh, storage, or decentralized uh, computing and rendering, and uh, they're all main concepts that have yet to be proven, uh, and that's going to take years to develop, uh, even a testnet to mainnet as well. So. They're all sleeper projects, and they only care about building right now, and you don't see them out at any conference. They're still getting big checks and big funds to allocate to them. Telegram still silent. They raised your $2 million yeah. as well, and, and who knows when that's going to come out as well. And Hashgraph hashcraft finally starting to, to make waves. So we're, we still there's some super projects out there that uh, have yet to be seen, and I think that they're just really still focusing on uh, trying to build and test out their their... Thesis, I should say. (laughs) So what do you Uh, think the
2: biggest problems are that have yet to be solved in this space? And what sort of companies would you be looking at to solve them? So if I was an investor, what should I be looking at? Honestly, like as with any
1: new emerging frontier technology or market, it's always a B2B to C game, meaning business to business before consumers. And it trickles down. And I think that's what happened here is like we jumped all to try to go for all consumer apps when... Blockchain, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, not fully scalable yet. Uh, a few other platforms still has potential uh, consensus, of, or not even consensus, like constitution <laughs> issues uh, out there as well. So uh, it was a big jump ahead to try to uh, jump into consumer applications, but it wasn't really about consumer applications. It was all about like trying to make money and showing yeah. and everything. So it was about like, consumer greed uh, more than anything. So right now, you know, what we're seeing is, again, like, Infrastructure year this year, a lot of big announcements by uh, big money, big banks. Uh, unfortunately, I think with the way that everything's trending with stable coins, uh, every bank might have their own stable coins. There's 100 stable coins out there right now. Uh, everybody's announced their own exchange now or wallet or teamed up one or acquiring. You're going to see a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions from big, some big players out, uh, out of there as well. And I think that it's gravitating towards big banks, big money, big corps uh, coming in and uh, just just building uh, building these big monster infrastructure applications and then start combating and punching each other uh, so we're gonna see a lot of that and um, I think that's like the biggest issue is just like we all jump trying to consumer head whereas we need the infrastructure from some big brands and big players that actually have uh, big money involved or big brands big customers using blockchain and now we're finally seeing um, some private blockchain projects actually go into live production like uh, IBM, with Walmart with the food chain and solid tracking that throughout. But what that has proven though, is that you can do a whole supply chain blockchain without a token in an the ICO and get people to use it. And so that's like the, 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 the big kind of a uh, illusion that we all thought that you needed a token to actually build the blockchain and you really didn't. And I think that's going to prove that you don't need to and think uh, at that's all. Bad news
2: for all the smaller and, companies. Trying well,
1: yeah, because like, It's proving that you can build a blockchain, and blockchain could prove uh, inefficiencies and and increase efficiencies. uh, But it doesn't have any real like uh, token economy or token economics per se. Or or, yeah, you don't need a. uh, It's just getting everybody to to (laughs) to, to contribute to that supply chain. Obviously, maybe they might want people to stake some sort of uh, and have oracles to audit uh, everybody that's part of those uh, chains. But it's yet to be seen. But it just proves that you can still run a blockchain project, and blockchain can help efficiency without an ICO um, or a token, which then kind of screws over the whole crypto side watering. because because that doesn't move the Bitcoin price or crypto price at, at all, uh, except confidence in 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 blockchain. But you know, you know, I think that that will come first. Uh, you're going to see a lot of pri- uh, private blockchains go invisible, increase efficiencies, gain more trust from institutions. Even uh, uh, execs or C, uh, C-level executives—they're all trying to warm up to them, and then—and then that will trickle down into b- people adopting it more into more consumer apps and fintech and like a Venmo level uh, type of uh, applications, and then that should then hopefully help with uh, consumer-level applications. Uh, so, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. a friend.
2: Well. I'm excited to see how it shakes out. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no worries. Any parting thoughts or plugs or wisdom?
1: I think the first killer apps, besides like Vice, Vice uh, Subjects or Vice uh, Industries, is going to be probably gaming. Gaming has always been uh, super hot, and especially how like Korea's responded uh, to both gaming, gambling, and uh, esports. You know, it's always been uh, forefront in consumer adoption. So I'm I'm really bullish to see how the gaming space will evolve and adopt crypto. I think that it's not going to be a full decentralized model. It doesn't fully make sense for companies crypto to fully. B-box. Well, it just doesn't allow for companies. Uh, it doesn't make sense for a game publisher or brand to really unleash all their IP and have full on ownership for everybody out there because there's no money for them or incentives to them. So it's going to going to be kind of like a kind of a quasi uh, or like a little uh, semi centralized. Something more like uh, something that make, makes sense is like something like crypto, but more of a closed platform. I mean, security tokens and STOs are going to be like that. You can't trade it off unregulated platforms, right? And I think that the gaming industry will probably gravitate more in that direction. There might be a few marketplaces out there, but you can't really exit out of that uh, for full ownership. Kind of like uh, digital rights management uh, out there. So it's going to be more like a Steam, pow- a Steam platform type of platform uh, out there. Anything that. Maybe uh, EA Games to Activision will each have their own kind of mini ecosystems and their own "quote-unquote" uh, non-fungible tokens or digital assets they can move around, and they kind of already do with like Skylanders and like Amiibos. Yeah, exactly. that's a good example of a kind of like a NFT-ish, uh, and so we're gonna see more of that. And I think that I'm just. I love about yeah, games. So you got
2: mining hardware built right in,
1: too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All the gamers leading on that side. Uh, yeah, GPU you mining, get all so. those gamers on. Board, yeah, you, run your yeah you know, I think that you know we're we just need more people focusing on 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 the tech and just building. Uh, I think that we're just all cut up with the price and noise, and it's all good. Crypto is always not going to uh, leave us. I think that each wave, uh, each spike, will then generate more jobs, more interests, uh, and just further along uh, the whole industry. So. Just bullish overall,
2: especially with how everything's developing. Yeah, So like any disruptive industry, they're going to be winners and losers for a little yeah, while. Yeah, winners and
1: losers, but uh, as long as you keep contributing and building, then,
2: uh, then you should
1: make it out on the other side. Yep, exactly. So. Well, yeah, thanks again. Yeah,
2: thank you.